Life is hectic, demanding, and doesn't stop. When honest with ourselves, we must confess we often don't know what the hell we're doing. The LARCast is an ongoing conversation about the inclusive and mischievous nature of God's presence. Through the lens of all the things that make up this phenomenon we refer to as life. Astonishing grace and refreshing honesty collide right here for your weekly encouragement. Welcome to the Larkcast. I am your host today, Russ, Russ Johnson, live from Southwest Florida. That is me, indeed. I wish I had like a cool rhyme that could go with that. You know what I mean? That really made it just sound keep good. keep it going, yep. Yeah, I just, I'm not that slick, man. And if you heard that other voice who just spoke, you'll notice that Jameson is with me again this week. Tony's kicking it on vacation with the family. Hope he's enjoying some time with his feet up. Um, and knowing him, he is, dude. Mm-hmm. He's pretty. He's pretty lazy. He's pretty lazy like that. <laughs> <laughs> the guy knows how to rest, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but yes, dude, Jameson, how are you, man? You I'm great. Good? And speaking of rest, I just want to put a a little promo out there. I hope I can get mm. rich off this. This I'm gonna say. I'm just going to go on the record as saying this is the best potato chip on the planet. Trader Joe's Ridge Cut Potato Chips, Salt and Pepper. You can't I don't beat know, it. man. You can't beat I don't it, Russ. Know, bro. I watch. talked about them boba no, chips that I had you on gotta... there. I mm. barely heard any crunch, man. It's I don't the know visual. if that's like a... Can't you see my face? Can't you see how happy I am? <laughs> I just didn't know, like in this moment, is that like, is that a diss against sure mics? Is that a, is that a diss on your potato chip? <laughs> like, like what, what's happening here? I don't know. But the <laughs> fact that this microphone doesn't pick up any of that is incredible because that was loud. Oh man. But they put garlic. They don't tell Ooh. you that on the front. You got to look on the ingredients. That's the secret sauce. They put garlic on those suckers. I've eaten half a bag in one sitting. That's a big bag. Okay. So okay. I found out recently there was a dude to let the cat out of the bag on McDonald's French fries. He said they put beef fat in the in the oil. That's like that's like the secret ingredient, man, to why a McDonald's French fry tastes better than anything your mama ever made. Dang. Yeah. Beef so fat. For these guys is garlic. Yeah, dude. And there's like yeah, well, uh, four ingredients on the whole thing. And it actually goes pretty well with my coffee. <laughs> I don't know what that means about me, but <laughs> listen, that's not a bad thing. I ain't gonna lie. I uh, maybe I'm just getting old, dude. But the other morning, I found myself eating Wickles, which is like a spicy <laughs> garlic sweet pickle, which I feel like Jesus Himself invented. Um, like, dude, I'm like buying stock in Wickles, man. I mean, I'm actually not. I probably should, but. I, I'm definitely employing somebody there in my addiction to these things. Yep. And I'm now at a place in life where it's like 8.30 a.m. And I'm drinking a cup of coffee and like, well, a few, a few spicy pickles won't hurt. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's <laughs> Going it. to the fridge. <laughs> and uh, yeah, such a such is the joy, the joy of life. This Speaking is what freedom looks things. like. It's what it looks yeah. like. 
I was going to say, <laughs> speaking of joyful things and what freedom looks like in life. Oh, man, so good. But on a quick little note, before we dive into our Yeah, But series today, because we've got another humdinger for everybody, a verse that's constantly, constantly, almost like towards, might be the most, hmm. might be one of the most, if not the most quoted pushback, dude, that you'll find in the name of freedom. We're going to dive into that in just a second. A couple quick things, a couple two tree in the hmm. name of, uh, in the spirit of Tony, things to share on here. Um. Number one, if you haven't uh, heard about this, Jameson and I wrote an ebook together. We did. Sure did. Uh, it's, uh, it's kind of this whole idea of uh, just daring to live free. It's a, it's a short, fun, little, almost like kind of illustrated book through, um, through a, a real honest look at the difference between Jesus and religion. That's what it is. And by design, this entire thing was written where you could sit down and read it in 20 minutes. Yep. And uh, I love that part about it. I had somebody reach out recently who's um, an avid student of theology and just kind of laughed. He said, man, I feel like you guys took like eight volumes of some of my favorite books and somehow put it in like everyday language for everyday people and said it in 20 minutes. How the hell you mm -hmm. did that? I don't know. But congrats and thank you. That's, that's what it said. So cheers yeah, to man, that. That was, that, that was encouraging. That was encouraging, yes. and that's a shameless plug, but I'll take it. I'll take it. This shameless book, by plug the way, for a is, free uh, book. For free. It is free. <laughs> Just go to the website, scroll down towards the bottom of the page, and you'll see it right there. Free ebook. Uh, mm -hmm. Get your copy today. Feel free to pass that link on to your friends where they can they can sign up and get their own copy of it. But it's a it's it's a I feel like it's just it's it's a good, valuable piece, man. That it does two things. One, it'll definitely get your wheels turning to really start to step into this conversation if you're new to it. Or two, you'll find it pretty, pretty encouraging and even a help, you could say, a tool in a sense that will help you in regards to not just continuing to grab onto this good news, but even how you can pass it on to other people. So I'm just going to stop there, man. There's no need for the second announcement. That one alone is good. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. I'm just and I've been sit there. I've been telling people if you read it, I would love to hear how it felt to read, especially if you hated it. <laughs> just because mm. that's kind of what who we are as Lark. Um, we want to have those conversations. We are not above being disagreed with or pushed back on or corrected. Like, no. let's do it. Let's have that conversation. And I mean, we're going to win the argument. But, Absolutely. but we welcome it. There's no doubt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> see, that just, just undid everything I was saying. Because <laughs> <laughs> Come on, no. man. You know me. That's I what gotta, it's for, man. I got to have fun with this. Yeah, let's have fun and let's have a conversation. I think Jesus had a lot of conversations and we can too. Yeah. Yeah. What did he? I think he asked like 300 something questions, only answered eight. Good. Good point. <laughs> Yeah, just yeah, like I think that sort of that sums it up. That sums it up. We love good questions. We love conversation, and we're always one thousand percent for it. So grab a copy, and like like Jameson just said, if you if you'd love to chat about it, talk about it, push back on it, whatever whatever it is, you'll also notice at the website larksite.com where you'll get a copy of this book. 
right up in the top right corner on the of the menu there is schedule a call. Yep. And we're not kidding. It's uh it's one thing that I feel like from what I hear from people makes Lark unique is we not only welcome the conversation, we um we're we're actually for it. We we promote it. <laughs> like yep. like we actually want to talk with you. And so yeah, schedule a call. We'd love to we'd love to chop it up. And if you're nearby, we'll meet up with you and grab a beer. First round's on us. Absolutely. And that schedule a call button is directly linked into our calendars. So you don't even have to wait. You just pick a time, you schedule it, and man, we're going to get on a call. So let's do it. I don't know if we need to make it that easy, but... I already did. Yeah. But speaking, <laughs> speaking of easy, bro, this is a true hashtag pastoral moment here because this was not planned. But just showing my savage <laughs> skills that I've been able to hang on to from my preaching days. Speaking of making things not easy, didn't Jesus say something about narrow is the road that leads to life and broad is the road that leads to destruction and easy, easy is that broad road and very difficult, especially when he, when he did the parable on the narrow road, he talked about how difficult it is to get on this narrow road. And bro, that, that verse, that idea, man, really starts to take freedom in a million things that we've talked about and written about and turn it on its head. Yeah. I mean, you're talking over 40 parables of Jesus where he taught that's in opposition to this contradiction, you could say. You're talking about the entire book of John, you know, especially the other gospels. But I love John in regards to like the story it unveils of the person and work of just Jesus himself, mm -hmm. right? Like really bringing that to the epicenter, you know, of our faith. You're talking about all the epistles. I mean, this is, right? Like you just undid Romans, especially, especially chapters like what, four through through eight, man? Like yep. what? Yep. Might as well just chuck those out. So I get why this is a yeah, but verse, man. I get why people go, didn't Jesus though, in Matthew chapter seven, didn't he say, starting in verse 13, enter by the narrow gate. Okay. Enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy. That leads to destruction. I'm going to read that again for the gate is wide and the way is easy. That leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Okay. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Hmm. So there's a wide gate and a narrow gate. If you want to check out the parable that Jesus taught on this, he refers to it as a door, the narrow door. Okay. And the narrow door, we think oftentimes what we're sort of handed in Christianity, because let's just face it, Christianity is often packaged in the form of a religion. Where and when the news of what Jesus did became a religion about what people do and don't do. I don't know. I mean, I feel like through a study of church history, I can give you some pretty prominent dates and some themes, mm -hmm. but somewhere along the way, the bottom line is the news of what Jesus did became a religion about what we do. And that's how it is primarily perceived and primarily pursued and practiced. 
And yes, that's a lot of peas. And I'm sorry. And perpetuated. Let's just keep them coming. Perpetuated. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's how people have been able to provide. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's how you promote yourself. <laughs> it's so dangerous, man. Jeez. Uh, somebody, somebody asked me recently, like, Russ, like, when do you know that you've sort of graduated from the religion that's that you've practiced in Jesus's name versus trusting Jesus? Like, how do you know you've moved from one to the other? And I'm starting to become more and more convinced that you grow weary of alliteration and you become petrified of acronyms. <laughs> <laughs> like, when those two things happen... You have moved into probably a, a life of trust and instead of the religion of practice. You got oh, some man. you got some work to do there, Russ. You think in alliteration. So it's just in your blood at this point. <laughs> Dude, the seminary I went to it was like just infused in my brain. And it gets let's just be honest, it has its values, right? Like it oh, helps yeah. us remember things. I mean, I don't want to be I don't want to knock on it as like it's all bad, but I do find myself laughing at myself yep. <laughs> in these moments. But back to what we were talking about here with Jesus. Um, the narrow. This, I get, yeah, I get why this is a yeah, but. I mean, he's coming out of the heels of like really unpacking like what we call the golden rule, right? Like if you want to get real serious, like all these laws hinge on loving God, loving others, right? To love others as yourself, to do unto others, you should have them do unto you. I'm telling you right now, guys, just so we're plain and this is clear, right? There's a narrow gate that's easy. I'm sorry. There's a broad gate that's easy and a way of life that leads to destruction. And then there's a narrow gate that leads to life. And many find what's, you know, this broad, this broad gate, this broad way. And few find this narrow door, this, this life. And I think what happens is we immediately hear that and we put it all right into the behavior camp. Okay. And we go, see, see, Christianity is a religion. That's about not just what we believe, but especially about what we do to validate what it is that we say we believe, to honor the one that we say we believe in, to prove to others that it is him that we believe. And then of course, one of the biggest ones we hear is it's by doing these things. Not only do we find life, but it's it's in these good deeds that others will, you know, they'll find life. To which that one I'm always kind of weary of because I feel like the reason why I'm weary of it is and it totally ties into the actual understanding of what Jesus is saying here. Is I've never seen anyone and I've never met anyone, I've never had a neighbor willingly admit their death. Willingly admit their death and to place their entire existence, their entire sense of identity on Jesus alone. I've never had a neighbor do that because I was nice to them. I brought them soup when they were sick. I stood up for them at a party. I'm just saying there's all the, there's so much like in the, especially in the missional Christian world, right? Like it's, it's, it's by doing these things that the world is going to like, that's how they're all of a sudden just going to believe. And I'm like, come on, man, seriously, people are admitting their death and saying, Jesus is my only life because they had a nice neighbor. Yeah, probably, probably not. But I think that's the primary line of thinking. And that's why this becomes a yeah, but verse, you guys are talking about freedom 
and yet there's these struggles that you still have in your life. And there's people who are grabbing on to what you're saying, and they're finding hope and forgiveness and relief in Jesus. They're learning to trust, okay? Even though they still have struggles, they're learning to live in that belonging as they trust Jesus. And these things aren't being corrected immediately. They're not being forced into accountability camps and then even pushed out if needed to correct their ways to make them better people. This freedom can't be good. Haven't you read that this broad road is easy, but it leads to destruction? And all of a sudden, like in that, broad seems to be um, all the things that you're doing that maybe you shouldn't be doing in life. And narrow seems to be taken as walking in all the things that Jesus has done and declared. Narrow is living into the Ten Commandments. Okay. Narrow is practicing what people call like kingdom ethics. And as long as you're on this, on this road, you know what I mean? Well, you're good to go, man. That that's where life's found. And I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. That's not what the text is saying. I feel like I've given a little bit of reason on this podcast as to why we think that's what it's saying. And I think that's why our brains jump there. But the good news for all of the those out there in the world who are honest about their frailty, everyone who's come to the natural end of their virtuous rope, their mental rope, their physical rope, their financial rope, right, <laughs> their moral rope, uh, I think can find some relief in that um, this this text is actually good news for the world. It's not a fear tactic. It's not a rut-row, oh shit moment. It's actually an invitation into something far more beautiful. What do you think, Matt? What's what do I think? <clears throat> yeah, a why do you think... What do you think? How do you... I'm just kidding. What's running... What, what's top of the list? Man, uh, I think it's a little ironic that there's so much anxiety and fear that comes out of reading this verse when I'm not kidding you. What are we looking at here? 10 verses earlier. Mm -hmm. It says, Hey baby, I'll be done in a little bit. Okay. <laughs> you guys head downstairs. I know I'll be done soon. Come on, he says, Dad, hurry up. What we're looking at verse 13. So 13, 14 verses earlier, it says, do not worry about tomorrow. Mm. For tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Yep. Today's trouble is enough for today. And this whole conversation, we turn into a future anxiety, an anxiety about the future. Yeah. Guys, that's so absurd because when, when you hear Jesus say, enter through the narrow gate, you are automatically applying your hell filter. You've got a hell filter that you look at your Bible through, and it's been given to you by somebody not in the Bible. Because do you know what yep. it doesn't say in thir verses 13 and 14 here? It doesn't say that destruction is hell. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say that it's eternal condemnation. It doesn't say any of that. You freight that into the text because you've been conditioned to read it that way. 
Yeah. And if you read the whole Sermon on the Mount, I think you're going to be dissatisfied if hell is your darling. If hell is the thing you're going to die, that's the hill you're going to die on. Like Jesus calls hell in chapter five, verse 30 of the same Sermon on the Mount, Gehenna, which is a valley, which refers to misery. Do you know what life is like when you refuse to believe in the God who really exists in favor of the one you imagine? Misery. Misery. (laughs) This is not hard for us to to work through here. Like, uh, (laughs) Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is teaching us something truly mind-blowing. He's saying the exact opposite of what many of us interpret the Sermon on the Mount to mean. We're like, no, this is the ratcheting up. This is where we get very serious. Like the law of Moses was serious. Well, Jesus is way more serious, apparently. Um, that's that's not what's going on because there's a line in there that cannot be undone. You cannot un you can't take it out and you can't mm-hmm. make it mean something it doesn't mean. And what is that verse? It says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the that scribes and Pharisees. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, we all know the scribes and Pharisees are pretty good, pretty good at what they do. Um, yeah. So if if you can't hit a baseball better than Sammy Sosa, you're out. That's what we're talking. That's the level we're talking about here. Yeah, these guys were like professionals in regards to you know just moral behavior, ethics. Um, spent their entire lives on this task. And yeah, because you have Jesus driving us to this realization. Like you, in a sense, everyone in his context, kind of like ours today, is is holding on to an idea of morality via the law of God and our ability to walk and keep all of these things. Well, this is the narrow way. This is life. This is This is what it really means. This is where we need to really get and so, yeah, like you just said at the beginning of this sermon that we're addressing a few verses out of, he takes every, he makes every effort to absolutely help us see what that righteousness of the law really is and really demands, and then pulls that right out from under us in a very loving, but very hard to grasp, in a mm-hmm. sense, hard to accept, I should say, not hard to grasp way. Yeah. He's creating, as we've said before, he's creating a crisis of capacity for humans who think that what we do, okay, determines our union with God, his love for us, and our forever being with him. That That's that's what he's doing here. Because right after he said what you just quoted, he says, be perfect, is your heavenly father's perfect. In other words, imperfect obedience is disobedience. Yep. It doesn't count. It's counterfeit. You can't buy anything with it. And he's doing this again because he's this is an this is an audience that he's addressing. And I think we have to take into account when we're looking at this verse that it's in this whole journey of the Sermon on the Mount where he's creating this crisis of capacity. Okay, where he's helping us really see what God's like and what he's going to bring about. It's out of this that Jesus goes on and begins teaching in parables because. This, the audience who wasn't grabbing on to what he's saying here is the same type of people, the same audience, This, in other words, the same humanity today that's still not grabbing on. 
Hence why this verse that I, that I read earlier is one of the yeah buts that you're handed. Yep. It's the reason why it's a yeah but. Jesus is laying down a program of salvation, okay? He does out of the gate, and he does it through his whole life on earth. And when I say salvation, if you're new to this, just think union with God, right? So Jesus is laying down a program of salvation that would make eternal life available to absolutely everybody, okay? Everybody. And on a giveaway basis at that. But this program is unimaginable to a world in love with the myth of independence or the myth of control. And so as anyone who teaches knows, people never hear what is said. It seems like it seems like we only hear what we are prepared to hear. Hence why earlier I talked about those of us who have come to the end of our virtuous ropes, our moral ropes, our physical, our mental ropes. That seems to be where we're willing to hear what's actually true. Because as long as we're hanging on to this imaginary winner circle, we just can't. We just can't hear what Jesus is laying down. And so they can grab onto judgment and condemnation and, and conditions for acceptance. They can grab onto that. They just can't grab onto unmerited grace that declares you're loved. You're not condemned. I'm taking care of all that's needed and announcing it's finished over it. Forgiven, reconciled. The life before you is a life of trust, and that that life of trust, that is the narrow gate. That is the narrow door. Okay. One of the, and I'm just gonna go ahead and say this because you're like you want to you want to throw in like an easy, like holy cow, that just changed us. John chapter 10, verse 9. Who does Jesus say is the door? Himself. Jesus himself says, I am the door. So if you're looking at the parable about the narrow door and the broad, right? Or right here in Matthew 7, the narrow gate and the broad, same thing. Jesus is the narrow door. And as John chapter 13 says, if he is lifted up, if he is lifted up, he will draw all, all, not some, all to himself. But this, so this said, he is narrow in that sense, because you're talking about trust in Jesus's death for your death, trust in Jesus's resurrection as your resurrection. In other words, you're trusting Jesus as your very life, to yeah. find your life in his life. That is very narrow, but it is, but it is for all. <laughs> yeah. What's broad are the Ten Commandments. That's broad. Because people think broad and they think broad is like all these like immoral things. Well, broad is also a list of all the moral things and thinking that in doing them, we're somehow brought into union with God or that we maintain our union. You know what I mean? With him. What's narrow is the door of Jesus's death and our death in his, as I was saying. This, um, it's one of the ways that I wrote it down here is it's, it's, it's not in the fact that, that it's small. Okay. Like, like that the gate or the door is small and therefore it's hard to find, but it's in the fact that it is so repulsive. Okay. It's so repulsive that it's hard to accept. 
I think because it what's repulsive is to to be to fully let go of everything you think you are and everything you think you have or will achieve and to go and get lost in the person of Jesus. If you if you still are grabbing on to the myth of the winner circle and that's what life's about, then then the invitation of God's grace is repulsive. So it's not that the door, the gate is narrow and small and you can't find it. It's that it's it's so repulsive that it's hard to accept unless that's where you are. In short, the hardest part of salvation is its easiness. I think that's what Jesus is starting to poke at here. The hardest part of the salvation he offers is its easiness. Dude, that's a mind bender. It's a, and it, and it seems to, it seems to work both ways. Like it's hard on us. And then of course it's hard in our thinking that, you know, and how we see other people that we see as the problem in the world and to think that they too belong because of what Jesus has done. That's like, oh, come on. You know what I mean? It wars on us, man. And I think that's why he says, like, many people are going to grab on to all the shiny things in life that we think matter, that they're what make up life. They're the things that are worthy to pursue. It's where we're going to find satisfaction. And so we run after all these things, bad and good, especially good. But the pursuit of them um, crushes us. It's It's misery. Right, as you brought up, it they lead to destruction. They, in other words, the pursuit of these things as our humanity dismantle our humanity. The flip side is this very narrow, this very narrow gate that's available and drawing all of the world unto the very source of Him who is life. That, that's where the beauty is found. But I think what he's getting at is like many finding the one and only the few finding the other. It's not that a few manage to get it together. It's that it seems only a few are willing to actually admit reality. And admit yep. that it's it's Jesus or bust, man. Yeah. I Think about it in terms of there's only one way for a fish to survive mm -hmm. it's narrow but what's narrow is an absolute expanse like we know more about space than we know about the ocean so that's what we're talking about here this this is not like well let me say this J john chapter one there's that incredible first five verses that there's more theology packed in those verses than than anyone will ever unpack. But it says that all things came into being through Jesus. Mm. And then it ratchets that up by saying, without Jesus, not one thing came into being. Okay? Even more. Here we go. What has come into being in him was life. So you cannot say that life of any kind comes about anywhere else. Therefore, it's a pretty narrow road 
door, whatever you want to call it. Like there is no other option. It's not even that there are other options that you choose. It's that everything else you do is a delusion and it's a misapprehension of life. You, you, what you're seeing and experiencing is not in fact life. Jesus is where life is. It's in him. You are alive right now in Jesus, Russ, and me. Right. This is exclusive in the sense that, well, yeah, there's no life anywhere else. <laughs> there's nothing. Right. You were literally called out of nothing by Jesus into life in him. So yeah, his words in are that ours. <laughs> sense, it makes in that sense, it makes perfect sense for us to say, yeah, it's narrow. But here's the the thing that we get afraid of. We're like, and this is a pushback you hear a lot. Like, so you're saying all roads lead to heaven? And I'm like, can well, we probably should focus on what the text says. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is everything that is alive is in Christ. It's there's no other you can't it can't theologically be any other way. Um so Sure. In a way, yeah, I guess all roads lead to Jesus. You, you, there's no other place you can be. Mm -hmm. But what we're saying and what Matthew is saying and what Jesus is saying is that you will experience destruction when you live as if life is not in Jesus. Yeah. Uh, yeah this and is our not saying a, that and we're not things... making a case for saying, hey, Hinduism is actually the way. Jesus is no. just another option. We're not saying that. We're not saying anything about any other religion at all. In fact, what we're saying is everything you think you know, mm -hmm. every person you know, they are alive in Christ, who is life. Life came from him. Nothing that's alive came without him. And it says in John, it's all 100%, 1000%, without exception, all life is in him. So yeah, it's exclusive in that way. But it does... Anyway, I'm rambling now. No, I, I agree with you. It is it is exclusive in that way. Um, and at the same time inclusive in yep. that way. Because Completely. you're forward. <laughs> yeah, it's the most inclusive thing in existence. And at the same time, the most exclusive thing in existence. And us saying that Jesus is life and there is no life apart from him, who is life. These aren't our words. These are Jesus's words. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that every person is awakened to this reality. It does not mean that every person trusts him and enjoys, experiences this very reality. Okay. Which again, I think is why he can talk about broad and narrow. It's why he can talk about many and few. Um, and I think that's what he's, what he's unveiling there. But I think what we forget is that there's this bigger context by which all of what he's saying here exists. You know, I was talking to somebody about this other day at a local bar here that I work and do some ministry out of, and they had brought up, a, well, I mean, at the end of the day, Russ, I think what we have to just realize is that, you know, all religions, I mean, they're all true. And I'm like, well, they all contradict each other, though. And they're like, what do you mean? And I kind of help them see like, well, you know, here's where Islam stands and here's where Hinduism and, you know what I mean? Buddhism. And, you know, I'm kind of going through and all of them just kind of helping them see the simple outright contradictions they have with each other. So these can't all be true and contradict each other. And, and they're like, well, then, so, but then Jesus is like one of the ones I'm like, okay, you could say that, but 
we still have to figure out like what is true. And it's in defining what is truth here that we find what is life. And according to Jesus, he is truth and he is life. And, and yes, the way, the road, the path. Yeah. He is, yeah, he is the way to, to be found in him, by to, to trust in him, to live, to experience, to run, to, you know what I mean, to rest, to be in him. The door is him, he says. I am the door. I am the gate. Yep. That's exclusive, but it's also inclusive. Because I, he also said, I'm going to be lifted up and I am going to draw all, all, everyone, everyone to myself. I'm going to draw all people to see that life, this thing that they're after, they already have in me and I am life. And I think, yeah, if you live in opposition to that, if you ignore that, um, you'll run after all kinds of things that are, in Jesus's words, destructive, yep. misery. They will dismantle your humanity and you will grab onto ideas and you will pursue things that also dismantle the humanity of others. If you want to see, like somebody said, but give me a practical example of that. I said, look at politics. Think about it. In the insecurity of politicians, all kinds of myths are held up as truth. And then policies are put in place for people to go and practice in. And these things together work not only to the dismantling of the politician's humanity, but in the dismantling of other people's humanity. And you can find that across the board. So I'm just saying, like, there's a simple example of when you grab on to things that are broad and devoid of reality in Jesus, it's destructive. That's the bottom line. But when you see Jesus for who he is, begin to find your existence in him. Okay. Well, that's where life is because that's where reality is, as you were bringing up earlier. Yep. So, I think the invitation is basically just let go of the shine. This is not a call to get it together and prove that you're, you know, that you count. This is an invitation to let go of the shiny myths that have us running to the wide gate of independence. It's not a call to get it together so we can make it through the narrow door. In short, it's an invitation to admit our death, man. In the words of Capon, and I feel like he, he captured it best here. Only death is usable in the new creation. Only death, okay, as a way of life, is usable in the new creation. Jesus came to raise the dead. He did not come to raise the living. And he especially did not come to raise the dying. As long as you and I are just hanging on to life, what we think is life, Jesus cannot do a thing for us. He saves the dead, not the dying. The lost, not the detoured. The the last, not the middle of the line, the middle of the line. It's only when we go all the way into death, past living and past dying, that we can experience his power, that we can say that we have entered into the narrow gate of him who is life. And dude, I love this as an example. He says, 
like a mustard seed or any seed for that mess for that matter must end its career as a seed before something can come of it a seed must i, I love that dude that it must end its career as a seed before something can come of it it must that is go all the way into death to experience life so i think again the narrow thing it's repulsive which is probably why only few are willing to admit it but to be but clear it's, but it's but it's not that it's not inclusive it's <laughs> repulsive because it calls into question your religion it actually throws yeah. an eternal amount of shade on your religion and says your religion doesn't win you what Jesus already gave you. Your idea no. that you need religion to get you something you think you need that you in fact already have is why you can't live free. It's why you don't understand that Jesus is the exclusive singular way but also the exclusive singular way in whom all things are, <laughs> all life is. We can't, we don't like it. We don't love it. We feel repulsed by it because it's condemning all of our old ways of thinking. It's condemning the thing that we inherited from Adam and Eve in the garden. This idea that God yep. is not to be trusted, and someone who you have to appease if you want to live. That is that is the lie. And I think we have to stop inserting hell into this text. Yeah. Your idea of hell, when you insert it into the Sermon on the Mount, it's always going to spit out a false reality. It's always going to give you an understanding of what Jesus is saying that is so far from what he's saying mm -hmm. he's he's trying to wake you up to life he's not yeah. trying to to get you all tidied up and fitted back for this super holy life that you're supposed to be living but you just seem to to suck at um big big difference he's yeah. this i mean when you read the gospels jesus is trying to commandeer a religion it's that simple. Like he's not trying to fix it or recalibrate it. He's mm -mm. saying, guys, you do religion because you are looking at God as if he's this over here, but he's not your father. Let me show you. Let me tell you. And let me demonstrate for you what the father is like. And as we all know, that ends in humans in the name of their religion crucifying and killing and humiliating Jesus the who's one with the father and anointed in the holy spirit but if you don't grab that then you have no choice but to define who you are through some, through these things that you believe things that you do things that you don't do i mean if we live in a day of if anything dude i feel like Sometimes I feel like you can almost say we have an identity crisis. Yeah. Like, like across the board, man. Like every product now 
where things just used to be something that you would enjoy. It's now like a means for you to, to, to identify who you are. Yeah. We've got a bumper sticker, man, for every tribe out there. And we're constantly defining who we are through what we do. And dude, it's just, it's, it's destructive. It's not, it's not only a lie. It's, it's, it's destructive. It doesn't just hurt you. It actually starts to hurt others. Yep. And you, um, if, if you've come to the realization of that, if you've come to the end of your rope and that, I think you find this narrow door to be the most life-giving thing in the world. But as long as you're holding on to it in any capacity, uh, this other like identity in a sense that you're, that you're grabbing onto dude, this is, it's hard to hear, man. You want religion at the end of the day, then you want control. You don't want Christ. <laughs> yeah. So again, like, well, I think why it gets into the broad and the few, but the invitation for all of us is it's not to, this isn't a verse about get it together or even a warning about you better get it together. It's actually an invitation to just completely let go. Let go. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Yep. Happy. His words. Happy yep. is what that means. Satisfied is another definition for it. Yep. For yep. the to be happily satisfied. Is the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So again, when somebody's coming at you with a yeah, but on this, you can almost rest assured that they're still in some way finding their sense of identity through what they do and don't do. That's what you can know about this. And the reason why I know that is not just um, from study, but from personal experience. Yep. This was definitely one of those verses that I would use, man, to, um, in my, in my attempts to make sure somebody got it together as a pastor. And it took me a good while, man, to find the, the beauty of the actual invitation here. Let go. Yep. And, um, and rejoice in the fact that Jesus is the door that draws all to himself. And by faith, you've awakened to this and therefore found the freedom to let go of all the false identities that only lead to destruction. That's probably for me, man, the simplest way to pull all that together. Yep. And to that, I say, amen. Yeah, man. You got to let yeah. that do not worry about tomorrow life be a part of how you interpret a text like this. You, you can't say, oh, they're, they're opposed to each other. Like <laughs> Jesus just said, don't worry. And everything you're telling me about how you interpret this verse, it's got me worried. Me worried. <laughs> makes me very worried. I think uh, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, amen. I really wish I had a fly swatter right now. I'm sorry for all yeah, the waving. I, yep. <laughs> I didn't know if you were just having like a, like a, some Pentecostal moment, man, that was coming into your life or like <laughs> what was going on. But I figured out it was a fly. Yeah. And let me just say this in closing. Um, to all of you larks out there who are listening and finding encouragement in this a big shout out and thank you to those who jumped in to help support it. Um, yep. If you're new to this game, just know that Lark is a nonprofit organization 
And we've done that and set ourselves up that way on purpose. We wanted to be a community where people could find uh, a, a way in which they could reimagine life with Jesus without the religious red tape. And we wanted to make it available to all people. And therefore we started creating resources that we could absolutely give away for free. Yep. But all of that has come about through people who have jumped into this journey with us. So I just want to say thank you for those who have been going to the website and signing up and giving um, to help make this possible. And if you're new to this and you'd love to join us, by all means, please do so. Together, we really do believe the message goes further and it's something we all participate in. So go to larksite.com. You'll see a give button on there. You can easily set up a monthly gift. We want to invite you to do that if that's on your heart and mind. And, uh, and again, just say thank you to all those who have. And to that, I say cheers, bro. Cheers. Cheers.